Recording? Yeah, recording. This is Mom's Basement Podcast, episode 43. Uh, I know. Is it? Yes. Yes, goddammit, it is. I thought it was 50-something. It's totally 53. Oh, fuck! <laughs> 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 this is Mom's Basement Podcast, episode 53. I'm apparently a time traveler from a few months ago edition. If it was episode 43, we'd be talking about the closure of the forage and how little we gave a shit about it. But in episode 53, we're going to be talking about C. Nittner's hack of Apocalypse World, Apocalypse Galactica, and then we're going to talk about hacks in general. So, hey... But before we begin, it's that time again where we talk about some other shit and and kill the first five minutes of the... Oh! Oh, fuck. It's a shooting. <laughs> no, it's living in New Hampshire and... It's not even fucking July anymore. Come on, guys. You've been shooting off fireworks <laughs> in my backyard for over a month now. It's now the 4th of August. They have... And they started well before the 4th of July. So I guess <laughs> all summer long, it's, it's Manchester, New Hampshire, fireworks fucking city. Yeah. All right. Well, I will, I will ask the question for this episode. And I will do it in classic um, off-the-cuff bullshit. And I'll, I, will, I will recite a famous heart-to-heart episode. Titled, Does She or Doesn't She? Jennifer and Jonathan's investigation of a beauty salon shooting spree exposes a loan shark scheme to blackmail popular hairdresser. Wow. Wow. That... <laughs> that... That sounds, sounds like everything crazy. about the 80s. Yeah, I was just going to say. Especially when you reach the word hairdresser. Yeah. I don't think we've had... A television show or a movie that had a prominent plot about a hairdresser since 1989. Correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong, Internet. Well, there is the uh, the rise of Zohan or whatever. Oh yeah, that's right. That shitty Adam Sandler movie. That's kind of redundant, you know. It's kind of redundant to say that shitty Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> yeah, just like it's kind of redundant to say, you know. Stalling for time and waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and mom's basement podcast in the same sentence. Exactly. All right. We're stalling for time and we'll. Okay. So do we have any any actual announcements? Any anything we want need to get off our chest? Need to talk about before we dive into Apocalypse Galactica? Before we dive bomb into Apocalypse Galactica? No, not so much. I mean, I got some hate in my heart, and. uh I can't wait to get it out. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Well, Rudy, you got anything to talk about? Um, not really. I just want to say that the Battlestar Galactica women's are pretty hot. The whole cast is hot. Yeah. Male and female. There is not an unattractive person on that show. And yeah, there's really not. Except maybe Edward James almost, because he is a boner and a half. Yeah, he's awesome. I was say, except maybe that 
fucking the XO or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, John McCain XO is not so great to look at, I guess. Oh, I did have something I wanted to announce. I can't let a podcast go by without pimping our own shit, right? Misery Tourism Games released a new game August 1st. It's called Six Page Manual. Yeah. I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. Go to our website, miserytourism.com, all one word, and it's crazy. And you can decide whether it's crazy like, you know... Crazy like awesome, or crazy like that ex-boyfriend who won't stop calling you, and he's in the backseat of your car, and you're really worried when you get up in the morning, or go home at night. You can decide which kind of crazy it is. But anyway, Apocalypse Galactica. Now, <clears throat> I know Alex wants bad shit on this. I'm not sure why, since he enjoyed every minute of it. Yes, but I know he's just itching to shit on this game. Yeah. But I'm gonna look. I'm gonna ask Rudy to go first. <laughs> Rudy, what, how do you feel about this game? I uh, actually liked it. Never played any Apocalypse World before, but uh, I liked it, and it because it reminded me basically of the show. <laughs> yeah. That was. Uh... This is a really excellent. I think translation interpretation of the show as, so, as someone who took sat down one month and just watched every fucking episode of the show i i have to say this game really and truly captures the spirit of the series and it, it inspired a session that really felt like playing an episode of the show now yeah. I'm not sure exactly how it accomplished that, and maybe we'll talk our way into that as we go on and sort of figure that out. But, yeah, I'm with you there. Alex? Yes? (laughs) It's your turn. (laughs) Uh, Well, I liked playing the game, and that's because a lot of the times we took... We took a hold of the game and not let the rules uh, dictate what we needed to do a lot of the times. Explain. All right. So a lot of the times when we did any of our roles or any of our, you know, our our stuff, a lot of it was self-explanatory. We didn't really have to, like, you know, debate anything. Mm -hmm. And um, during those time periods, which was the bulk of it, we had no troubles actually playing the game. And then every now and then... Especially like when we got into combat, that's when things really got really tricky for for some strange reason. It got really complicated really fast. Because the way everything's done, it has to be done in like pre-scripted answers. And a lot of the times they never fit anything that we were doing. Well, I don't think that you have to use pre-scripted, pre-scripted excuse me, moves. I mean, I, I think part of the way, and this is really, we're, right, now, right now we're really talking about Apocalypse World, the game, as opposed to Apocalypse Galactica, the hack. But I think... They're one the same. And I'm someone who didn't play Apocalypse World prior to this. I played a half session of Dungeon World, and that's all of my experience with the game. But I have read some of what Vincent Baker, Baker has said about the game, and some of what other people have said about the game. And I think... The point is that the rules only come into play when you need them to be there. 
So if you want to do something in combat that isn't a move, you just do it. But when you start um, stepping on other players' toes or doing things that are um, where, where you want the tension of having rules in place, you know, where you want there to be that dramatic tension that's created by the possibility that something could happen other than what you would like to happen, that's when you use the rules. That's when the rules step in and mediate. But you don't think it did that particularly well? Exactly. Okay. Are you gonna, I thought maybe you were going to follow that up with something. <laughs> no, you're right. That's exactly what it is. And I don't need to go further on because I'll probably just continue to, uh, to badmouth it and I'll have you keep defending it. That's true. That's what we do. We go back and forth like that. That's 90% of the podcast. Well, that involves us talking. I highly disagree, sir. Really? <laughs> well, maybe not 90%. Maybe that's an exaggeration. But No, you weren't paying attention, Will. I, you said 90% of it is us going back and forth disagreeing with each other, and I just said I disagree. Oh, okay. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> so, so anyway... Getting back to one thing that's going to be difficult in this conversation is the fact that all three of us have never played Apocalypse World before. So, and, and I don't think that Sean or anyone else really wants to hear our critique of Apocalypse World because that's a game that everyone has sort of played or read about or heard about. I think the really interesting conversation here, well, you know, once again, I'm speaking personally is about the hack itself and how effective the hack is or isn't and in what ways it works and doesn't work and that's going to be a tricky conversation to have having not played apocalypse world before you know what i'm saying but that said let's try to have that conversation so as a hack how do you feel about this it does a better job than the original (laughs) having not played the original I do like how you make the assumption I've not played the original. Oh, you have played Apocalypse World? Yes. That's why I hate it. I don't hate things in advance. Oh, really? I didn't know that you... I thought we were all coming into this fresh. You didn't talk about your experiences with Apocalypse World before at all. Yes, because I didn't think it was that important. Oh, I don't know. Well, you actually have some experience. Then then talk about that. Talk about... Yeah, let's hear your experiences with Apocalypse World. No, but my initial hatred of Apocalypse World is because it's usually confusing right when you have to get down to the crunch. And and a lot of the people don't play it the way you suggest to play it, Will. They don't say, like, you know, let's, let's bring in the rules when there's confrontation. Some people want to bring in the rules just because it sounds like we should be bringing the rules in. Mm. Which is why I've always, I've always put a link between D&D and Apocalypse World. Where a lot of the times, when you use the basic stats of D&D, and you just do your normal rolls, it's very simplistic, you can't get confused, people love the shit out of it. But as soon as people focus in on trying to do special rules, or like, you know, try to understand the crunch behind something, that's when things stall to, like, you know, a crawl. Right, right. And that's been my experience with D&D, too. Yeah, mine also. And that's why I was getting at with when we played this, that exa- that happened exactly once we we got to positions where we actually had to understand the crunch. It slowed down severely. 
Yeah, possibly. There he spent one... 15 to 20 minutes talking about one fucking rule. It went down to a crawl. Yeah. <laughs> there was one instance when we were talking about, uh, what the hell? It was, it was uh, interfering interfere. and uh, help. Help and interfere, yeah. And when you could use that and when, yeah, when you were allowed to help or interfere. Because it is not actually it's not actually explained in the book. It's explained loosely, but the key points to actually say whether you can or can't is not mentioned. And I think part of it was the fact that Apocalypse Galactica has a special move for the president that allows you to help or interfere at any distance after you've had an intimate moment with a character. And it's difficult to see how special when it isn't clearly defined, you know, when you can normally help or interfere, right? Because <clears throat> if it's all a matter of kind of MC, not GM, MC discretion, then it doesn't seem so special that the president might be able to do it more often. Yeah. Whereas if you can only help or interfere with someone normally when you're like in close physical contact with them or whatever, then being able to do it over long distances is, is really significant and makes a lot of sense. If you've seen the series also where people, you know, where the president or the commander will have a certain amount of influence and just by giving a speech basically over the communicator or the intercom or whatever they call it, he's able to, have an impact on what follows, have an impact on characters who are out in the Vipers or down on the surface of a planet or elsewhere on the fleet or whatever. But yeah, without knowing exactly how help or interfere functions and how it's special to be able to do it at any distance, you don't get, um, you don't really get at what's cool about that role or at least about that little sub part of the role so yeah to get back to eggs to my to my point there that that's the biggest flaw in this in this game it's very simple once you um take away a lot of the crunch and uh once you actually have to figure those things out it becomes very uh complicated very fast mm. or at least very subjective very fast it oh that hard. too there's there's other things that i can bring up that are very subjective but that's the one one thing to point out right now. All right, Rudy, or Will, go ahead and do your thing. Yeah, well, I think that uh, as far as the crunch factor was concerned, most of the crunch worked pretty well. Um, like, in fact, even a lot of the combat stuff worked decently. It was just that we got kind of hung up on the help and interfere thing because it was like, yeah. well, wouldn't, like... Why wouldn't you just help or interfere all the fucking time? But, right. uh, like, as far as, I mean, there was, we had that situation where we were, where, uh, where Alex was in a rogue viper that was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was marked for destruction, basically, by uh, the president. And then, uh, the rest of the vipers broke off and started pursuing it. And I thought that went pretty well. I mean, yeah. We, uh, I mean, it started with the attack on the Cylon ship, and, uh, it was attacked, and it was 
damaged. Uh, the damage, the way we handled damage might have been a little bit unclear because we've never played Apocalypse World or whatever before. But uh, but the game didn't bog as a result. Yeah, the game didn't bog down. I mean, it's basically... And a lot of the time, it was basically like you do something and then you reference the rules later. Yeah. You know, you say, well, is this a move or is this a, you know... And from what I saw, a lot of the uh, the moves were actually pretty obvious, which ones, you know, when they were happening. Mm-hmm. And they weren't, it wasn't very difficult to tell what, uh, you know, what was a move and what wasn't. Right. The only thing I thought that was kind of difficult was maybe, uh, like, how much you should, like, how much you should use the crunch, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, um, as far as, like, well, if you're in a back and forth, how many times, <clears throat> how many times do you use the crunch, you know, for that? Yeah. Since the rule for Apocalypse World is basically, if you do it, then you do it. Yeah. You know, right. so it's kind of, I mean, but I think that may have been just an issue with us not having played Apocalypse World. Yeah, that, that could be. Yeah, well, I definitely like the way that the rules stayed out of the fracking way. <laughs> you know, I needed to say frack at least once on this podcast. But yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I, I like the fact that as long as we're talking about Apocalypse World here, I definitely appreciated that because I am a guy who does not like my rules getting in the way of my game. You know, but but I'm also someone who enjoys games that are stru- structured effectively by rules. I, I am a freeform guy. I enjoy freeform, but freeform can get obnoxious, and I appreciate rules when they structure and constrain play in a way that also inspires play. And I think the rules did that here. So anyway, that's Apocalypse World. But talking about Apocalypse Galactica, I think the first thing you really have to talk about, or at least the first thing that I would really have to talk about, is the playbooks. Because that's the core of this hack, right? The rules that the new... They're called rules? Is that what they're called? Um, they're called playbooks. I mean, I don't... <laughs> but I mean, the, the thing that I mean, you don't play a playbook, you play a character who is, like, is president a role? Uh, no, I think they just call them playbooks. They're actually, just, I think. president is a playbook, and... Yeah. You... Okay. Yeah, makes sense. I guess it makes sense. Well, no, it makes sense because Apocalypse World has a bunch of key code phrases for a whole bunch of stuff, and so it makes sense that a playbook because it, it'd be like the quarterback's playbook, you know, it'll be his list of moves and stuff about him mm. and stuff that right. he can do. Yeah, no, I know what a playbook is. I just thought that maybe. So well, anyway, all, all terminology aside, I think the playbooks here are pretty excellent. First of all, just the different playbooks. Are, they, I can imagine a way you could have done this game in a shoddy way. With like four different playbooks. Well, you have like, oh, you've got a commander, and you got the guy who flies the viper, and then maybe you have a politician playbook, and um, oh, and a Cylon playbook or something, and that's what you have. And those are the things that everyone thinks about when they think of, of Battlestar Galactica. 
Sean could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he, he clearly he's, he must be a huge fan of the show because he gets at all of the nuanced little roles that exist in the Battlestar Galactica universe. You have an activist playbook, which is basically a political revolutionary. And that's an important part of the world, too, because it's not just, you know, the president and her cabinet and the military bicker about the Cylons. There's a lot of subterfuge and there's a lot of individuals who are working to advance their own agendas. And he gets at all these different agendas. So like you, like I said, you have the activist. You have the businessman who's kind of the shady black market dealer. And that's something that's interesting because the black market played a very big role in the series, but it was a subtle role, too. It wasn't something that came up in every episode, but it was a major part of how the world functioned. And then you have multiple different roles within the military. You have a CAG playbook, you have a captain playbook, you have a commander playbook. He even has the fucking doctor in here, which is something that I think was mostly just to have some rough equivalent to the, uh, what is it, the angel something or other from, is it just the angel? the angel. From Apocalypse World. But it makes a lot of sense because the doctor was also a huge player in it. And the engineers and all the little, um, all the little seemingly menial jobs on the ship that characters had, or on the fleet that characters had, are all here. And it really makes for a much more complex, interesting game and a much better reflection of the series mm-hmm. than you would have otherwise. And also, as long as we're talking about the playbooks. What he does with Cylons, I think, is really smart. Instead of having a Cylon starting playbook, it's an optional playbook that you pick up after your character has revealed themselves as a Cylon. So you start off with a normal playbook, with a normal role within the fleet. And then eventually, at some point in play, you're revealed as a Cylon, and you pick up this extra playbook with these different moves and 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 abilities and history stuff all, all mixed up in it and i think that's much more true to the series than having you be a cylon from the start having you be um the same as the other human characters at the beginning of the game at the beginning of the campaign or whatever you want to call it i think is really important mm-hmm. since so much of the series was about you know where where does humanity begin and end? And how human are the Cylons? And how different are the Cylons from everyone else? I think having players begin with a regular human playbook and pick up the Cylon thing as they go along really brings that that distinction and that uh, or, or the la- that lack of distinction into play in a cool way. Yeah, uh, I I would agree with you a little bit on that one. Where that it was a good thing they had it, made it delayed, and I, I feel that 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 was a good one because a lot of times, if um, players chose that role from the get go, 
they would um, announce it to everybody that they were playing yeah. the Cylon. I mean, I would still like the idea to be it at the very beginning, as long as I, you know, did my best to keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, and and plus the way we actually played the the game, we played it just like the TV show, where everyone says subjective, maybe even subliminal messages, where yeah. we hinted that <laughs> we were or we were not the Cylon. So right. I I definitely prefer the option of like you know being able to to pick one, just don't say out loud that you picked it. Well, and you could really do that with the game as it stands. Exactly. Because you can tell yourself, I'm a Cylon, and then as soon as you get the experience to advance and pick up the Cylon playbook, you could just take it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's still possible to do it now. It's just, I would I would like to be able to do it you know, at the very beginning, if, if as long as I was, uh, you know, as long as I had the ability to, to keep hush touch about it. Right. So, Rudy, thoughts on the hack? Well, I think it definitely is very true to the show. Um, as far as uh, so and I don't know, just the way our our game shaped up, it had some of the ridiculous like stuff in the show, the ridiculous little idiosyncrasies of the characters and the uh, the kind of the I guess I'd say political tone. Yeah. But not a real strong, like, you know, political message. But it had, like, this political tone, like, kind of all these different political things thrown together. You know, like, uh. Like a collage, but a senseless collage. <laughs> right, right. Like, in the, in the game we played, we actually had a, a trial for a Cylon. And not even a human Cylon, but a, like, one of the toaster ones. Which I thought was really true to the show, because um, even though the show, I guess there's maybe more at stake in in the series, um, it still felt like you were you were going through the. Uh, it still felt like you basically had the problems of the uh, of the people in the fleet. You know, represented in the game, right. which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, as far as the individual playbooks, um, I liked them. We didn't get a whole lot of use out of the uh, the com the more combat oriented stuff. Yeah. But uh, like the uh, the military units and stuff like the when you command a military unit dealy. Yeah. Um. But I think, uh, looking at that, I think it could definitely work. And uh, there's definitely precedent for that in Apocalypse World with, like, the hard holder and that kind of stuff. It's just that in this, like, there's multiple hard holders, kind of. Right. And, uh, yeah, and, and I kind of like that because I think that, uh, like, just what Alex did with um, with his minions... Yeah. I thought was pretty cool where, you know, you can, you have a certain ability to make them into the characters that you want. And it's not just, they don't feel just like basically throwaway pets, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, I think overall I like the hack a lot as far as a, uh, as far as a tribute to the show. 
which I think it was uh, Sean's point. Yeah, I think so, too. I kind of feel like, just to build on what you were saying about the Minion, one thing that, and I don't know if this is a negative, but I do feel like you were drowning in options with the playbooks the way that they are now, because you, every, well, maybe not every playbook, but a lot of the playbooks have some kind of minions. A lot of them have some kind of resources that they have access to. A lot of them have um, different, uh, well, I know the president has favors that they can accumulate and trade. And, and there are so many little different little bits and they're all optional bits. You know, it's not as if they're all mechanical things that you absolutely have to track. So they're not intrusive. They don't get in the way of the game. So it's sort of a take it or leave it kind of thing. If you like a lot of options, a lot of possibilities for play, then each of these playbooks is fucking packed to the brim with them. If that can become kind of cluttered for you, if that can become kind of like you look at all that shit and you're like, oh, man, I don't know what which of these to use and which direction to go with my character, then maybe it's a problem. Sure. I have to go more with the latter than the former. I think unobtrusive options that can inspire play are pretty much always a good thing. But I can see why there might be an argument that, that maybe it's a little cluttered. Mm-hmm. All right. For me, when it came to the uh, to the playbooks, I liked it a lot in comparison to its predecessor. Because I'm going to state once in once, you know, I'm just going to keep saying it over and over again. This is a better version of Apocalypse World. Um, because right now, already, the playbooks are one page instead of like three to four pages in the books. That's true. So already it's a much smoother layout in terms of selecting everything. And because it's on a play, it's on a little card, because you can pretty much print these out and make like, you know, Half a double page. sided, or double sided cards. I'm talking about the on... size of them, about like the size of like half a like you know eight by eleven. You know they're that okay. kind of yeah. they're that kind of size. They're pretty they're pretty big, but they're not that huge. But you could you can pretty much make the entire your entire thing you know a little flip card like that, and so it's it's a it's a lot smoother uh, for just play altogether, especially since you can laminate them for uh, for you know for future games. Uh, Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, overall the layout is a lot better than uh, than what I was used to, so that that made it a lot easier to actually play the game. And I mean, the only thing that I think was a little bit unnecessary was uh, trying to make excuses for some of the classes, because like for example, as me uh, when I played the businessman, I had to have uh, three different uh, little questions answered that were only important to me if I actually gave a shit about that section of the drama. Oh. As in, like, you know, who do I owe money to? You know, where, who do I go to? Who's my contact? You know, things like that. Those are drama points of interest in a story. Those are yeah. not absolutely nece- necessary. So it's only meant for people who don't know what they're doing in the story as it is. So I thought I thought I thought that was an, uh, I thought there was there was quite a few uh, in the uh, uh, playbooks where they had questions and things like that in the playbooks I thought weren't really necessary. Other than that, the, everything was was really well done. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you there for the most part. Hey Rudy, <laughs> I have a specific question to ask. How did you feel about the Doctor playbook? I know you were emceeing, 
so you were you had a lot of you know balls to keep in the air but i noticed that you didn't really use the doctor play much much for your doctor character yeah well i guess nobody really got injured that much <laughs> oh yeah that's true so <laughs> i mean but and most of the doctor's powers revolve around either people getting injured or the results from that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if he, if they watch somebody die and there's one that triggers, if they, uh, you know, they can heal people and that kind of stuff. And then there's some, there's something with like faith that comes in, I think, which didn't really come in either. I don't think in our, in our play test, but, uh, I, I didn't really, I guess maybe I didn't really get to use it very much. Yeah. Because of just the way our adventure played out. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not really sure either way about it. I, I guess what I'm wondering is, and this is something that I can't really speak to since I don't know Apocalypse World too too well. You know, I read most of the manual in order to prepare for the ha- playing this hack, and also since I didn't actually play the Doctor. But I'm wondering if maybe the Doctor sticks a little bit too close to the angel playbook from apocalypse world and could use a little bit more of the a little bit more of the uh battlestar galactica touch because i'm not really seeing many psychological moves here for the doctor and i Uh, felt in battlestar galactica even though he was kind of a gruff kind of guy the doctor was there almost just as much for morale as he was for actual healing. And I feel like if there were more, if he had more moves focused on keeping up the morale of troops and of, and like social moves, more social moves, because I I could see a lot of campaigns of, of Apocalypse Galactica that contain very little combat or go long stretches without combat and without people getting hurt. Right. And it, if someone wants to play the doctor, I don't feel like they, sh- the MC should have to say, well, this is going to be a very political campaign. Maybe you shouldn't play the doctor. I feel like yeah. it should be like, well, maybe you can play a psychologist. Yeah. You know? Or, or maybe you can play a doctor who's more of a social doctor in some way. Yeah, or you can play like the Wild West kind of doctor who has a, cares like a shotgun, but he knows better. Right, and that's basically what the doctor <laughs> was on Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, I agree definitely. A little more variety with what the doctor could do because he's kind of a one-trick pony right now. Yeah. So... Other thoughts on Apocalypse Galactic. Uh, Alex, about where are we? We're at blah, blah, blah. We started, oh, like, it's probably, like, it's only been, like, 25 minutes, baby. 25 minutes, give or take. Okay. I forgot that call graph doesn't actually keep track of the time for you. It's a bitch. Yeah. So, any other thoughts on Apocalypse Galactica, then? Um, I had something that I wanted to say, but I forgot it. <laughs> no! <laughs> No. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I'll go ahead and uh, say my piece then. Uh, I actually, like I said before, even though like in comparison to the original, I like this one a lot more than what it's supposed to be. Uh, I am very glad that um, that just a lot of it. 
is just pretty much is very seamless. There's not really a lot of uh, trouble going on with this uh, this version of Apocalypse World, and that the only thing that would probably be some more improvements there is it needs to put some more information about the show itself because it really hinders you know it it it's based on your knowledge of the show. If you don't have a lot of knowledge of the show, you can't do all the goofy, silly shit that they do in the show. And have the same amount of fun that you have right. on that you would do with if you watched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's one of those games that requires a little bit of knowledge beforehand, and it would be great if he included that instead yeah, of the, relying on you know hand waving, go watch the show, or you already watched the show, otherwise you wouldn't be playing this game. Right, and this game is very dependent on the on the players having on, on a presumed level of knowledge for the players. The game both presumes that the players know Apocalypse World, have played Apocalypse World before, or are familiar with Apocalypse World, and that they know Battlestar Galactica, specifically the new version of Battlestar Galactica, the sci-fi channel series, that they've watched it, that they've watched it enough to know how the show functions and to enjoy it. And it seems like being able to really get into the game is, I'd say, heavily dependent on you being totally there with one of those two things, and at least halfway there with the other one. Like, you have to be have either, like, total knowledge of Apocalypse World and be sort of into Battlestar Galactica, or be really into Battlestar Galactica and sort of get Apocalypse World in order to get the full experience of this game. And ideally, you would be totally into both. Right. And now it's not like appealing to the broadest possible audience is a goal for Sean, I think. Because this is a game he's giving away for free, and I think it really is a game for Apocalypse, uh, excuse me, for Battlestar Galactica fans. This is a game, if you're really into Battlestar Galactica, I made a game so that you can play Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but it does limit the audience of the game. Well, now I actually remember what I was going to say. I was going to say that uh, the playbooks for this game um, are a little bit, uh, I guess, very, well, I guess, really specific to the show. Yeah. So if you have a mixed group that maybe some people have watched the show or maybe some people have watched different amounts of the show, then the playbooks don't necessarily on their own stand out as much as the Apocalypse World ones do. Oh, that's true. You know, they don't... Like, if you if you printed out all these playbooks and put them on the table, um, then somebody who maybe had watched half the series or maybe none of it at all maybe wouldn't know how which one to choose, or none of them would really stick out like the Apocalypse World playbooks do. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, since, as you said, it's basically for buy a Battlestar Galactica fan or Battlestar Galactica fans. Yeah. So, I mean, but it's just maybe something to think about as far as uh, the audience. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. Although there are a few playbooks here that you could pick up having not 
seen this show and say, oh, I know what this is. Like the doctor, for example, or the yeah. president. To a lesser degree, the commander. Mm. And yeah, and, and the businessman, too. But there are definitely some, like the CAG and the engineer and 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 the and the opportunist it's like if you haven't seen yeah. Battlestar Galactica what is that even yeah you know i mean you know what an opportunist is but it's a word that without the context of the series you don't really know what kind what that means in the setting yeah because it's tied very specifically to one character right but uh yeah so Final thoughts about Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica. Good series. Watch it. No, about Apocalypse Galactica. Alex. Well, I if anyone actually wants to play Apocalypse World, I definitely agree they should play this version. But other than that, I since I'm not really a fan of the show too much. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I know I knew enough in order to play it. I still wouldn't really play this myself because. I just don't really care about the series. Um, it's still good for what it does. Right. And you have to admit that for someone who hates Apocalypse World and isn't a Battlestar Galactica fan, you had a lot of fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, was the, that was the angriest or least sincere yes ever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rudy, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, I think it's a really good hack, and it's true to the show. Yeah, I That's agree. About, Sorry. That's about it, really. I agree. One final thing I want to say is I am so glad he named it Apocalypse Galactica and not Battlestar World. Yes. Don't you agree? Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's what will get us to our part two of this discussion. Right. <laughs> yeah. But before we go, I mean, Apocalypse Galactica is just so much more evocative, mm-hmm. and everyone wants. And and the general thing with these hacks is to name it, you know, X World. But yeah. first of all, Apocalypse Galactica gets at the meaning of the fucking show, which is that there has been a go galaxy-wide a fucking excuse me fracking apocalypse so the apocalypse there is appropriate but also it's just you read you read that title and it seems cool in a way that battlestar world doesn't okay so hacks pivoting let's talk about hacks in general and I have a feeling it's going to be hard to have this conversation and not have it turn into, like, fist-shaking. But, you know, if it does, it does. But I think we should... We we were thinking about going after this topic when we did Shadow Hack. But we kind of saved it for Apocalypse Galactica because this is an instant where both halves of this work are derivative. And I don't mean that in the mean sense. I don't mean that in the insulting sense. But literally, that both halves of this work have been derived from other sources. The the uh, creative content, the, uh, the story content, comes from a television series. 
and the mechanical content, the game content, comes from Apocalypse World. So it seemed really appropriate to talk about derivative works, to talk about hacks in this context. So that said, who wants to open this discussion up? Okay, I'll start. Yes. Basically, I I hate any hack that tries to make a commercial run for itself. Hmm. And that's it. That is actually a good way to put it, I think. Because I don't care if you write the hack because, you know, it's your business you know, to, to write this. It doesn't really matter. You're just doing you're doing fan service for everyone else and for yourself because, you know, you like something. Uh, and you and you don't want to take the time to, you know, actually develop your own game on it because it's not that big of a deal for you. You just want the theme to represent what kind of game you already like. So it makes sense to do hacks that, that way. But what I hate is, you know, things like Dungeon World you know, any type of game that tries to take over the system and make their hack of it and then try to actually sell it for profit because it's already disingenuine as it is. And I really don't like the, the just the concept of them doing that. Okay. Rudy? Um... I guess I'm pretty much in that same type of camp as far as, you know, if you're going to make a hat based on it's, you know, either strongly or even loosely based on something commercial mm. or that's derived from your, uh, your enjoyment of uh, a very particular, I guess, type of thing. Mm. Then maybe it's better to to not sell it. But uh, yeah. that said, I mean, most of the time I don't really see hacks that are being sold too terribly much. Well, there are at least two really big examples. Alex yeah, is one of them, Dungeon World, and the other okay. is my favorite uh, yeah. <laughs> mule to beat, Monster Hearts. Yeah. I think hacks are a, a good way to definitely get your feet wet as far as designing games. Yeah. I mean, so that's good. Yeah. Um, and it's not like... I, I don't want to make it sound like it's any... You know, it's it's any less of a design effort, you know, to design a hack. It's really not. I mean... You don't think so? No, I don't, I don't think it's... Um, as far as as far as what you have to do to actually um, what you have to think about to actually design you know all the to, to reskin it in your image yeah. basically um, I don't think it's necessarily any less of a design effort than say making a short you know five page game or whatever that's true that's because true. I mean there's a lot of games that are not hacks, but they're really short, and they were made in, like, a couple days or whatever. Right. And uh, I think in some ways a lot more has to go into a hack because you have you already have a, 
defined audience that you're trying to please. Or at least in your imagination, you have some kind of imagined audience. Right. That, uh, you know, is going to be, is going to be the primary audience pack. And so you really have to, and I think a lot of, a lot more refinement maybe goes into a lot of, a lot more revision, I guess I would say, goes into the hacking process. And it's revision that may not necessarily be as fulfilling or as, uh, is that the word? Yeah. Well, I guess it's satisfying for the author. Right. Because it's like, well, you you know that you're already um, you're already basically doing something derivative, but you have to make it. You have to be able to make it your own. Yeah. In a way that I think is um, that may be difficult. In a lot of cases, especially with all, I mean, it's difficult to take criticism for game for any type of game design, I guess. Yeah, sure. But uh, for hacks, I think it's probably even more difficult to take it because, or at least to sort out criticism, because you have to you're caught between basically being loyal to the fan work, you know, or the work. Yeah. And you know, putting your own spin on it. And making it into something, you know, so it's kind of an issue of like, well, how creative do you want to get with it? And uh, how much do you want to listen to people that, uh, you know, that are fans of it? They're, you know, just as strong a fan as you. Mm. You know, how how much do you want to listen to other fans, basically? Right. And uh, that's that's basically my feeling on X. Yeah, that's true, I guess. And I think you're right to say that hacks don't, or in no way, do not involve less effort than making a um, in, a fully independent game. But I think it's a profoundly different kind of effort. When I, when I think of someone making a hack, I think that's, in a very similar camp, in a very similar... It's a very similar process to when, back in the day, when you when Dungeons & Dragons is the only thing you knew, and you created a campaign world, or excuse me, a campaign setting, or when you created a custom class for D&D, or you created a, a campaign setting that came complete with custom classes and custom races and custom a whole bunch of custom things. And some people would pour a monumental amount of work into their campaign setting in a hundred different ways. And that was cool. And it was, and, it, and, and sometimes a campaign setting will, would turn out to be something really, really amazing, would turn out to be something better than, say, some of the published settings. And certainly that was a creative act. It was a creative work, but it was a very different kind of creative work than, say, building a game from scratch. Yeah, because uh, I'll uh, I can I can definitely go further on that one, which kind of also explains what I'm trying what I'm going to say now, is that once you have a clear definition already in in front of you, it's much easier to make something than it is to have to construct the box itself. Yeah, which yeah. is which is why I was saying I'm playing off what Will said because he created the box 
I went with the box. So it's, it was much easier for me to explain it once it was already initialized. So that's usually what people think of, of when, if they ever even suggest that it's easier to hack something than it is to make your own. It's because of that feeling itself. Uh, I mean, all we have to do is just go, you know, we don't even have to look that far in the past or the future. You know, math. There's a large percentage of it that is just regurgitated from the past. None, almost none of it is actually brand new stuff. And it's just that much easier to use previous knowledge than it is to create something because for that specific field, it's not that great of an analogy because there's not really much you can do with it. There's not really much, you know, morphine you can do right. with that particular subject. But the, the, the idea, the concept still holds true that if you were someone of the current age and geometry never existed, it would be a really hard for you to explain how shapes became shapes. Right. Yeah, I think so. And I think in a way there that this is even though Rudy did say that in some ways there are more risks involved. I think that hack creation has become a risk averse behavior. It's become a way I want to design the, a game and I want to and I want people to be able to play that game or I want people to feel encouraged to play that game. So I'm going to create a hack which is a very different thing than taking putting yourself out there and creating an entirely new game with an entirely new system and taking that risk and so i guess there's space for people who i feel personally are creatively bankrupt to exploit the existence of a hack positive culture if you want to put it that way there are people who are basically hacks in every sense of the term there are games that are hacks in the sense of they're using a derivative system and they're hacks also in the terms term that in the sense of the term that they are derivative garbage produced in order to sell copies of the game for the financial benefit of the creator and yes i'm going to come out and say it my belief is that monster hearts is that kind of game that it's a <laughs> that it's a shallow cash in on the popularity of, of apocalypse world and the popularity of twilight and true blood mixed with the popularity of identity politics you know positive representation identity politics all mixed together in a way that I'm sure makes Joe McDonough feel good about himself and helps to line his pocket, but isn't, is, is kind of a shit game. And I think that's the downside, the possible downside for hacks. The upside is right here. We're looking at it. It's a game like Apocalypse Galactica where it's not produced for profit. It's not, suffocating other creative works it, it, it hasn't been, it, you know it, it hasn't forced itself into the market 
in such a way that it's it's stealing oxygen from other works and it's also and it gives you a chance to just have fun with something you you really enjoyed like hey i really like battlestar galactica and i'd like to pl sit down and play it with my friends oh here's a free game i can sit down play with my friends and really experience that and that's cool and i can get down with that and I and I and it's cool in the same way as your friend coming over and saying, "Hey, I just made a brand new campaign world. I really want to run a campaign." In, or excuse me, I just created a brand new campaign setting. I really want to run a campaign in it for all of my friends to enjoy. Let's sit down and let's play this thing and let's have fun with it. And I think that's cool. But if your friend came in and said, "I just created a brand new campaign setting." Man, I'm gonna take this to Wizards of the Coast. I'm gonna sell it to them, and or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna print this myself, and everyone will want to have it. You'd think he was delusional. You'd think he was an asshole. <laughs> and I don't know. So that that's how I feel about it. I, I am concerned about hacks stealing oxygen from other works, and I don't think it's not the fault of the hacks creator. You know, if Apocalypse Galactica becomes the only thing they talk about on story games for a month, it won't be Sean Nittner's fault. But it still does something to the community, you know? And and there are a lot of people out there who are creating completely unique games, who are really putting themselves out there, who who are who are who are operating without a fucking net. And we're just basically letting them fall because we're so fixated I'm discussing hacks of a few games that everyone has played. And I think that's tragic, personally. Because I've seen so many games here um, on on the podcast that have been sent to us to playtest uh, that are just fantastic, complete designs uh, that nobody is talking about because everyone is talking about six or seven different hacks of Apocalypse World, or a few different hacks of Lady Blackbird, or or, or, or hacks of hacks of hacks, you know, made by hacks. And, and that and that pisses me off, frankly, to see. And I think it, it it's a function of the culture and not a and not a function of there being anything wrong with creating hacks. It's just that we need to start talking about other things too. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, as far as hacks stealing oxygen from other shit, is if you, I mean, if you just go to story games and just look at the threads, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Lady Blackbird, Lady Blackbird, Monster Hearts, Apocalypse World, Dungeon World. Uh, maybe some more Lady Blackbird. <laughs> uh, then like a thread on race or something like that <laughs> that goes on for like nine pages. And then there's another Lady Blackbird hack. And then there's Monster Hearts. Yeah. And then, so I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with, uh, trying to sell your, uh, you know, something that's derived from something else. Especially when, like, it's, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, how do I want to put this? When it's... I've when pissed it's, people off already, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm just trying to think. Basically, 
when something is kind of your own spin mm. on like something that's already really popular, which I think is what Monster Hearts might be, kind of like his own take mix. It, it's basically like a mix of a lot of things that Joe McDonald or McDonald thinks are cool. I thought we all agreed. If we're gonna say it right. It's Joe McDonald. <laughs> all right, Joe McDonald, whatever. But uh, I think it's a bunch of things that he thinks are cool mixed together in a unique way. But they're not necessarily anything new. Yeah. And uh, certainly the system is not anything necessarily new. Uh, although I never, as I said, I never played it. I never. Uh, even looked at the book. <laughs> so, but I have read a lot of the actual plays and stuff from it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it basically seems like it's very similar to Apocalypse World. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that's bad. It's only, it only becomes bad when the, com- in the community sense, like you were talking about, Hank, where, Basically, that's all people want to talk about. Yeah. And where you're, where it almost punishes, like, I guess, outsider creativity. Yeah. That, uh, that doesn't fit with the, with kind of what jives in the community, what's going on in the community. And, uh, yeah. Because, I mean, there's some games that are, that are going to be really popular and that everybody wants to imitate stuff like that but uh if we just talk about those games and we're kind of losing a lot of the other cool shit you know there'll never be a chance for another game to come along that is really cool that everybody talks about if we're still talking about games that were released three or four years ago right. or hats of games that were released three or four years ago so right i mean a little diversity is probably good <laughs> yeah i i agree There's one thing that I want to bring up while we're talking about hacks. And people, I've seen this come up a few times. People talk about the apocalypse world as a programming language metaphor. And I just couldn't, that couldn't be more wrong to me. Because in game design, in RPG design, in tabletop RPG design, your programming language is language it's text it's words you don't need you don't need a programming language in in that you don't need a mechanical system now maybe apocalypse world is the equivalent of an engine like like say the unreal engine or whatever but even that i think is stretching it a little bit because Okay, so the the programming language is the thing that allows you to generate the code that can be compiled and all of that. So clearly Apocalypse World isn't doing that. We can read actual English language and interpret it. So it it's not a it's not it's not a programming language. But even the engine, the engine just just makes it possible to you know to simulate reality in the game, you know, to generate the reality of the game. So, yeah, there's some parallel there to the engine, but 
the engine tends to be an invisible thing. And, and as much as even Apocalypse World may try to be inobtrusive, it's still not invisible. And the game's mechanics are still a fundamental, visible part of how the game works. Right. And I think saying that, that something like Apocalypse World is comparable to an invisible engine or an invisible programming language which runs would run the game is ignoring the fact that in a game a lot of the real creative content is in the mechanics mm. right a lot of the whereas you know if you're playing in a, a game that runs on the Unreal 3 engine or something, there's still a lot of space for one Unreal 3 game, engine game, to differentiate itself from another through the game, the mechanics of the game, which could be totally fundamentally different. Yeah. So mechanics are something... Yeah, and, and I, absolutely, mechanics are something that video games already have, that isn't the same as the engine it's running on or the language it's programmed with. So I think we need to think about that. The mechanics here, the mechanics that run a game are a fundamentally different thing. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't make unfair analogies to the world of computer games as a way to excuse Lazy game design. <laughs> well, I think um, that Apocalypse World, a better metaphor, I guess, might be, or analogy might be, uh, that it's like a level editor. Oh, yeah. I mean, because you can still, you still get some really kick-ass shit produced with level editors. I yeah. mean, like, Dodo was produced with the Warcraft 3 tool set. And, uh, you know, you have, it, it basically is kind of like a an all-inclusive package that you can use to make your own shit with. Right. And, uh, but it's still, this, whatever you create is still mechanically going to be very reminiscent of Apocalypse World. Right. Yeah, I think that's really a perfect metaphor. Alex, you've been uncharacteristically quiet. Yeah. I totally have. Uh, no, the main reason why is because there really isn't much uh, for me to say on this topic. It's not much of a passionate one. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's mainly this is how I feel. Fuck hacks, and then we're done. And so, you know, <laughs> there, there's not much to really explain. And, like, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying fuck hacks. I'm saying fuck hacks. <laughs> Where it's not that they're all terrible, all bad, blah, blah, blah. It's just that there's... It's been like the last four years, at least the last four years, has been a lot of abuse from hacks. Yes. And so it, it has a much... Uh, it has a very bad taste in my mouth. Now, the the thing is, what I want to uh, get at is, like, you know, not all hacks are bad, blah, blah, blah. I just hate that so many bad things have been done from hacks. Mm -hmm. 
And even like even though like I'm a PC guy, I love shooting games. Counter Strike was a hack of Half Life. That's true. Yeah. But the thing is, they got permission from the official people afterwards to sell it. They did not just put it up there as their own and attempted to sell the mod. Right. So well, it, it's one everyone... of those things where it's like you know, it's cool kind of, but it's still it's still bullshit because. Why don't you just get permission from the get go? But even then, they're still. It's just. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone who hacks Apocalypse World has Vincent Baker's approval because he's released the game in a Creative Commons forum and basically said, do whatever the fuck you want with this. And he probably said, do whatever the fuck you want with it, knowing Vincent Baker. That's probably the actual wording in the copyright agreement. But that, that's like the worst way to give permission to something, because then that's really? when you create all the shit. Because if you actually had it to where the company had, like, like, like a group of people had to actually look at it, evaluate it, and say, yes, I give this your my stamp of approval for you to actually sell my work, uh, you know, that, that you just stole from me. I give approval to you, for you to use that. But if you just you know, blanket anything, approved, 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 you get a lot more of the garbage. And that's what we've been dealing with. So you think Vincent Baker should be signing off, he'd be looking at all these hacks and signing off on the ones he thinks are good? I'd rather have a more subjective uh, look from the actual creator than having a you know a cookie cutter you know stamp of approval which allows for bad creative work because it, <laughs> it it allows the it makes it to where the market has to decide but as we all know the market is not really a good representation of what is nice yeah. and what is of actual that's quality true. that's true I agree with you there that the market is basically a hard determiner of quality that said I have to say that I'm a big free speech dude. I know. And I, I, I like the idea of Creative Commons license. Uh, all of our games, technically the Misery Tourism games aren't under a Creative Commons license, but the shitty copyright thing that we wrote up ourselves basically says something comparable. I would not be in any way offended or hurt. I mean, I'd be flattered if someone made a hack of one of my games. And I really think that, you know, you go and you take and you do and you create and you do whatever the fuck you want. And what happens, and it shouldn't be that someone says, no, you can't do that. It should be that afterwards, after you've sat down and you've created some garbage, someone like us comes along and says, that's fucking garbage. And that's it, you know? Someone just comes along and says, that's garbage. And you can say, okay, well, I made it, you know, whatever. It's still out there. I'm going to leave it out there. What I'm saying is, fuck Monster Hearts, but I totally support Joe McDonald's right to make Monster Hearts. And I would never say, take Monster Hearts off the fucking shelf. All I want is the right to say, I think that game is garbage. And I think as long as everyone gets to do that, as long as that cycle keeps running, everything is right in the world except all the things that aren't, which is most of the things, but still. <laughs> all right, then. Well, then I look forward to the next decade of uh, Apocalypse World hacks. Yeah, I know. I know. Because your really dumb mindset <laughs> allows that to happen. 
Without you... further ado, the end of the episode. Here we go. Well, I mean, you cut my okay. point, so I'm going to have to cut your point tremendously. Um, Wait, I Comments, cut... responses, you know, con- you know, let us know. Wait, I cut your point? Uh, yeah, you did. Anyways. Well, what were you going to say? No, as in you undercut it. Oh, undercut it. Oh, oh okay. And then you undercut my point. Yeah, we had some back and forth there. It's cool. Okay, so uh, I take it by Alex's desire to wrap things up that he must feel like we're closing in on an hour here. Or he might just be sick of talking to us. No, I'm, I'm just because you're saying one specific thing that's really, really debatable. And I don't oh, want to, I don't I don't want us to spend 50 minutes talking about this on the podcast. I'd rather do that off the off the podcast and then that's maybe true. record it while we're talking about it and then release it then. But that's not true. as one, and not as not as part as this. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I don't want to get into that discussion because that's not really. I mean, it it's applicable to RPGs, but the limits of free speech really isn't an RPG topic purely. So yeah. <laughs> so final thoughts on hacks, Alex. Some do, some don't. You know, I, I always like saying that because that's just like the non a, a non answer. Basically, yeah. I <laughs> I really dislike hacks unless like a, especially if it's for commercial reasons. I still I enjoy hacks because I played many games like you know Warcraft three and stuff like that. Because quite honestly, the developers did not put enough effort into making the game playable after the story mode. So mm-hmm. having the be, people being able to hack it makes it worth actually buying this disc which is why the majority of authors for rpgs allow uh people to hack their systems because it allows the game to be still mentioned by name which allows them to get their credibility still out there so when they produce the next game they have enough people following the bandwagon to buy their books and that's how i feel about it that in the end it's very selfish and bullshittery okay rudy uh, I want to say that I have a penis. Yeah, I think that's that's we, appropriate. To we all content. can agree on that. Yep. Yep. I certainly can. <clears throat> anyway, uh, my final thoughts. Okay, a moment of self-reflection here. I realize that I've come off pretty strongly anti-hack. And philosophically, I don't know, I've got some problems with it, like I said, mostly because of how I feel it's stealing oxygen from other games, including, admittedly, my own games. (laughs) But, you know, I can't really square that with the fact that at this point we've played two hacks on the podcast, Shadow Hack and Apocalypse Galactica. And in both cases, I had a fucking blast playing them. It was just really fun sessions. I left both of them thinking, I want to play this again. And in fact, we ended up running two sessions of Apocalypse Galactica, not one. So, you know, am I am I a victim of, <laughs> you know, the same, like, mentality? Like... Oh, like, it's very easy for me to pick up and play these games, too, without committing to learning totally new shit. And it's very easy for me to play games based on settings or, uh, you know, TV shows or other media that I've already consumed. 
And maybe that's part of it. Or maybe these things are just really fucking fun to play and I shouldn't be talking shit about them. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And maybe if I sat down and played Monster Hearts, I would be like, man, this is an awesome experience. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know. But that's it's very difficult, I guess. Because as in all works, the most creative works the most original works are often also the most demanding works and not necessarily the most fun to read, to play, to watch initially. And it's difficult. And I can see why the community is the way it is, but I still think there needs to be something in place. And it doesn't necessarily need to be in place at the expense of hacks, but there needs to be something in place in this community some kind of mechanism for rewarding truly original, truly unique, truly risky, dangerous, crazy games. And that's not there right now. And I think it should be. Yep. Yeah, that's it. I'm done. <laughs>